All right. All right. Wow, you're really enjoying this, aren't you? All right, let's wrap it up. Oh, there goes this sermon. I should have never turned you loose. All right, want to grab a seat? Grab a seat. Now, it's interesting. Some of you, I didn't really want the whole Christmas letter version. Okay. Some of you are still on page two of the Christmas letter version. Here we go. All right, you can finish those conversations after the sermon, please. Okay. But I wanted you to do that because, you know, Christmas is that kind of year when you bump into people that you haven't seen in a while, and, and it's very common for them to say, oh, how was your year? You know, how did it go? And, and maybe if you've gotten a Christmas update from them already, maybe you know a little bit. Although some Christmas updates, you know, the two extremes kind of frustrate me. Can I be honest about opening the mail at Christmas? You know, you open it up sometimes and it's a Christmas card. You see the envelope. It's from some long-lost friend. You haven't seen him in years. And you open it up and there's just like, Merry Christmas. And their name. As if I don't already know their name. It's like, well, wait a minute, is there more? And, and, and I don't know what else there is, you know. And then there's the other extreme. This is the person that does the Christmas letter in an eight-point font. If your story of your year has to be put in eight-point font and printed off back and front with no pictures, that's too much information. Amen? Yeah, we all agree on that. Now, I've probably insulted some of you in the room, but uh, you'll get over it. Happy New Year. Yeah, I don't like those extremes. But, you know, when, you, when people ask me, especially people that haven't seen me for a while, or I haven't seen them for a while, and the common question is, well, how are you doing? How'd your year go? Probably the most common answer that I hear is, um, it was okay. Fine. Or perhaps they say something like, um, uh, had its ups and downs. And you begin to wonder, what's behind that? Because the truth of the matter is, every one of us had our ups and downs in 2018, right? Or, eh, could have been better. And that's kind of an okay response if you're talking to someone that's not a close friend, that's not really going to remember the encounter. They just want the short answer. It is okay. But what if you were at one of those New Year's Eve parties and you, you venture out um, to get a break from the noise and all of a sudden you see a figure on the patio out back and you kind of slip away from the crowd and it's God. Now, I don't know exactly what God would look like there, but I picture Morgan Freeman. Anybody else already gone there ahead of me? Yeah. I mean, to me, he's kind of the best God actor. If you've got to portray God, I would get Morgan Freeman. And um, so he asked me, Dale, say, hi, God. So how was your 18? How was your 2018? Of course, he already knows, but sometimes God asks questions anyway. And... Uh, I could just say, eh, okay. 
But it kind of raises the question, what do you think God is hoping to hear? Pretending for a minute that he's not omniscient, because we know that he knows your year already even better than you do. But what do you think God hopes to hear at the end of 2019? If it's a year from now, and it's New Year's Eve, and you step out, and God says to you, so how was your 19? What do you think God hopes to hear? And what would you like to be able to say? You know, what are God's expectations of us? We're going to review in a minute that we are saved by His grace. We're, uh, we, we, we are absolutely surrounded by His unconditional love. So it's not about Him loving us more because of your answer. It's not about us earning uh, his favor because he loves you as a father, loves a child who has been forgiven and totally given new life in Christ. But yet, he's your father. He's your dad. And I know when I meet my kids and I say, so how are you doing? I really don't want to just hear. Okay. And I think God is kind of like that. He is our Heavenly Father. When Jesus taught us how to pray and talk to God, that's the metaphor, that's the model He used. He says, why don't you start this way? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus encourages us to pray to the Father and to realize that uh, we, have a, we have a loving Heavenly Father and, and, he, and he cares about His kids. So it, I think it's a legitimate way to start 2019, especially in our series we're doing called Rhythms, the everyday, what are the everyday rhythms of the Christian life, and what, what's God's dream for your new year? Let me see if I can give you a hint. Let's read today's passage, and then we'll try to answer that question from the passage. John chapter 15, Ryan launched us into it last week, and in our teaching team, Ryan asked me if we would go deeper into the passage again this week because there's so much in this thing. He did a great job last week, by the way, of introducing that one of the things God wants for our rhythms in the coming year uh, is the rhythm of faith, the rhythm of belief, the rhythm of trusting Him, having faith in Him, putting our faith focused on Him. That was the theme last week. Today, though, what's that look like? So I want to go into the same passage and... Uh, and we're going to explore it a little more to add another rhythm to our lives for the coming year. Everyday rhythms. Not for super Christians, not for missionaries and pastors and all kinds of monks and, and people. You know, this is for everyday people in everyday rhythms of life. Jesus was about to leave his disciples, and I think he shares his heart, and I believe the heart of his father, with this story. He says to his disciples, I'm the true vine. Chapter 15, verse 1. My father is like the vine dresser, takes care of the vineyard. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Let me stop on that for a minute. Uh, the Greek language there could also translate that phrase, takes away, as he lifts it up. He takes it as in lifting it up to clean it or to care for it. 
I think actually that's the essence of that statement. He lifts it up. And every branch that's bearing fruit, what's he do? He prunes it so it can bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. In other words, you understand, you've believed. Verse 4, abide in me. So here's my word for you, my disciples. Dale, Seacoast, abide in me, Jesus says, and I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you branches. Now your English Bible will say you are the branches. But actually in the, in the language, the, the scriptures, in Greek it actually says you branches. And, and it's not that it's a bad translation. It's filling in the understood words, but you miss some of the impact. What Jesus is saying is, I am not just the vine, I am the true vine. You, you're just branches. And it's not a demeaning thing, but it's a fact of life. And we're going to come back to see why that's important. You are the branches. And again, he's picturing now a vineyard. So you've got to picture, these are not, when he says, I am the true vine, these are not the vines that grow up the side of your house. These are not the vines that cover your, your, your landscaping. These are grapevines. So you've got a picture when he says, I am the vine. That's that woody, thick stock that comes up out of the ground, has roots that go way deep, brings up all of the nutrition, all of the nutrients, all of the life, and then it feeds these green, skinny branches that grow every year off of those in a vineyard. And if you've seen a vineyard when it's been pruned back, you know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, that, that stub is almost all the way back to the trunk, you might say. Just little, little stubs off of it. But yet, when it's flourishing, when it's growing at, at the peak season, it gets really big, a lot of branches, a lot of greenery. But yet, he says, but keep in mind, I'm the true vine, you're the branch, and my father, uh, he's the vine dresser. He's walking through the vineyard constantly. He loves the vines. He wants them to bear fruit. And so one thing he's doing is he's got the, he's got the what do you call those things? Snippers? Clippers. clippers. He's, got the, he's got his special knife, his clippers. And he's going through and he's shortening up some of the vines and he's taking off the, some of the, the parts that aren't really bearing fruit, but they're just sucking up the energy, right? So he's pruning constantly in the vineyard because he loves the vine and he loves the branches. But he wants it to bear fruit. So Jesus says, I am the vine, your branches. Verse 5, he who abides in me, the word means to remain in me. It can be, draws its life from me. It's, it's, it's a word that really raises images of the importance of that branch staying with a tight, loving connection to the vine. A friend of mine last week mentioned that this uh, reminds you of the idea of when a baby's born, that baby attaches, has an attachment to its mother. And, you know, dads are okay. I like dads, but dads are not moms, and they never will be. And those, a baby knows its mother because he has this special relationship and attachment. And in fact, they say that a baby can actually smell when the mother walks into the nursery. Now, when the dad walks in, the baby can smell that too, but that's a different smell, okay? 
Okay. Sorry, dads, but I had to slip that in there. But yeah, so there's this attachment, this love relationship, this special attachment that God at least desires between a baby and a mother. And, and, and it's like that. It says this, the, the branches need to stay attached. They need to remain. They need to abide. They need to draw their life. They need to stay connected tight to that vine. And he says, if they do, they bear fruit. Verse 5 also says, though, he bears much fruit, for apart from me or the vine, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they're burned. That's the, the branch that chooses to not even connect to the vine. It just dries up and is worthless. It says, but if you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father, verse 8, is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as my Father loved me and I have also loved you, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Full joy inside, expressed outside. So what's Jesus talking about if we look at these 11 verses? Ryan probed the part last week of how they call us to constant faith in Christ. But we want to talk a little more about what is God's dream for you? And, and if you listen to that passage, what word was used most often above all else? Uh, if God wants to hear, hey, how's your 2019? At the end of the year, he's hoping to hear what words? Productive? Fruitful. Yeah, productive and fruitful. In fact, I've got a word for you. He wants to hear that you'd say, you know, this has been a a year in which we thrived. If you think of the word thrive, here's the definition on the screen for you. It's to grow strongly, vigorously, or flourish, to do well or prosper. Not so much prosper in the sense of the worldly definition that, hey, man, I had a great year, made more money than ever, made more trips than ever. But what he's talking about is, you know, spiritually in our lives, how do we say, you know, this year, above all else, I think what God is looking for, according to John 15 is, it was fruitful. And we'll have different amounts of fruit, different size of fruit. God's not measuring your fruit against my fruit or against someone else's fruit next to you. He's just wanting to know, as one of his branches that he loves, as you've gone through the year, was it fruitful? Are you bearing fruit? So let's talk about this uh, metaphor, and we're going to see first what this metaphor means but i want to give you first a single phrase that if you remember this at the end of the morning i hope you get it that's this i think that god's dream on the patio for you is this abundant fruit on abiding branches god is uh praying that you will have abundant fruit on your branch but because you are abiding he loves abiding branches. That's why in this passage, by the way, seven in, uh, in seven verses of this passage, ten times he uses the word abide. 
abide in me and I'll abide in you and abide in my word and my word abides in you and we abide in prayer and we abide as we love each other and abide in, in, in the word and, 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 and follow my commandments. And, and you know, abide is, is actually used 10 times in seven verses. So there's something to this. And so what I want to do is talk about God's dream, which is abundant fruit. I think God wants us all, new Christian, been a Christian for 50 years, came to know Christ last week, or maybe this week will be your week to begin that relationship with the vine and connect to the vine. I don't know, but whether you're new to the faith or old to the faith, it doesn't matter. All of us, God's dream really is, hey, just abide in me and be fruitful. Abiding branches bearing abundant fruit. Now, this metaphor, you just got to break it down real quick. We're going to do two things this morning. Break down the metaphor and then talk about, okay, so what does this abiding thing really look like in everyday life for everyday people? And that's, that's the second half of the message. First, the metaphor, real quick, because I don't want to assume that you've heard this before. Again, picture now, the vine is Jesus. If you didn't figure that out, you got the first one right, okay, on the test. If you want to take some notes, you can fill in the blanks. Abiding is about understanding Jesus is the true vine. You know, and that alone is, is radical. Because I used to think that as a follower of Christ, as a Christian, wow, you know, uh, Jesus kind of planted me, and I'm, I'm like my own vine. I get, you got the Dale vine, and you got the Bill vine, and the Nancy vine, and the Susie vine. You got the Becky vine, you know, you know but... but uh, uh, you know, the, the bottom line is, I got ready to say you got the bovine. <laughs> well, that was Matt last week giving you the jokes. But anyway, okay, think about that. So, so the, the reality is, I used to think, well, wow, God's brought me to life, and I'm now my own little vine. And, th- and the reality is, I am the true vine. I'm the only source of life that you need if you're going to walk with God and be all that God wants you to be. I am the true vine, Jesus says. You just branches. Never forget who you are. You're just a branch. We'll come back to that. Number two, the branches are the disciples. Branches are, every disciple is a branch designed to bear fruit, designed to bear much fruit, uh, designed to be pruned so it bears even more fruit, if, if that's the case. The vine dresser is God the Father. He's the one walking through the seacoast vineyard this year. He's the one that is the unseen uh, man with the pruning uh, scissors that's going through with the knife or the scissors and, and pruning off those branches so that they bear more fruit. The vine dresser is the father. Now, what's the fruit? This is where it gets a little more touchy or interesting. Well, the fruit, when you look at it, Jesus says, I'm the vine and the fruit you bear is my fruit. And he uses actually three different phrases, and here they are. Number one, it's the fruit of Jesus, or the life of Jesus, in us, on us, and through us. And he mentions all three. First, the status, the important thing is that Jesus Christ comes to live in us. He's alive in us. He sends his spirit, and it's his spirit that lives in every follower of Jesus Christ. So it's the Holy Spirit, or what's called in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, the Spirit of Christ who indwells us. That's why Jesus could say, hey, I'm about ready to leave you guys, but don't worry. I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm going to be back. I'm going to be with you because I have been with you, but I'm going to be in you. And that's, that's the difference. So Christ indwells us with his spirit. So he produces his fruit, 
the fruit of his life. That's why in 15.4 it says, Abide in me as I abide in you. Number two, it's, it's the fruit that's on us. You know, the fruit is visible. It hangs on the branches. Uh, it's interesting that the vine really doesn't display fruit. The branches display the fruit, even though the vine is the source of that fruit. So it's amazing that the fruit hangs there for people to see. It's actually visible. I think God wants you to have visible fruit hanging on your branch. That's the key thing. It's got to be there. In fact, he mentions it. Look, turn back, for example, John 13. John 13, 34, one page back, says this. Jesus said, hey, a new commandment I'm going to give you, that you love one another, not like other people love, but love even as I've loved you, and that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus is saying that the fruit of God-like, Christ-like love is, is a fruit that he wants hanging on your branch. And people can see it, and they go, whoa, you know, you, you're more loving than you were in 2018. I mean, 2018, you were okay. Well, no, in 2018, you were a jerk, you know, but uh, maybe. I don't know where you are on the love scale, but, but the bottom line is, in terms of a lover of people, a lover of people in relationships, we ought to be bearing fruit, and, and he wants us to bear even more fruit, love, joy. Be more joyful in 2019 than you were in 18. Complain less, rejoice more. That's, that's a fruit of God's Spirit as you learn what it is to abide in Christ, staying connected to the vine. So love, joy, peace. You have a deeper sense of peace. Love, joy, peace. Patience. There's a practical one. Am I more patient in 19 than 18? God votes for more patient. Your spouse votes for more patient. Amen? Yeah, yeah. See, especially husbands. They've got to be more patient with their wives. You know? I don't know about you, but sometimes my wife takes longer than I take to get ready. You ever had that happen? Yeah. And, and you know, and, and especially early in our marriage, I had to try to train her. <laughs> you know, that leaving at this time means leaving at this time. And can you count backwards and please get ready? You know, and um, I didn't like to be late. But, you know, but then I realized, you know something? When we go out the door, she looks a lot better than I do. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, she looks better than I do today. You know, so the, the, the fact is, but patience is a very practical fruit of saying, Lord Jesus, would you produce the fruit of patience? Help me to be more loving, joyful, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Just being kind. Being nicer to people in 2019. But these are things that God isn't saying, I want you to go out, Dale, and make this happen. You know, bear more fruit. And that's not what he's saying. He's saying, bear the fruit as you abide in Christ. And we'll talk about what that means in a minute. But the fruit should be visible. That's my point. You know, spiritual life and spiritual change should not be a mystical thing that happens somewhere deep in your private little closet and never is seen by anybody if people around you don't see change then you're not changing you're not abiding you, you got to let the fruit hang there where people can see it on your life and when they go wow there's something different about you from the last time i saw you it gives you a chance to say well you know i'm just abiding don't say that. 
They'll go, what? No. Say, so, you know, to be honest, it's, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is making a difference in me. And uh, I'm glad that you see that I'm changing. But you need to know, if it was just up to me, I'd be the same old Dale that I was in 2018. That the change is really Christ working in my life. And if you want to know how that happens, we'll have coffee. I'll be happy to give you the long version. See, you know, let, let the fact that people see your fruit open up opportunity for ministry. That's, that's kind of how it's designed to work. So the, the fruit is displayed in us, it's on us, and finally it's through us. Because he talks in chapter 15, verse 16, look at this, he says, You did not choose me, jump down to verse 16, but I chose you and appointed you so that you would go that is, go into the world and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. In other words, now he's talking about, the, I believe, the fruit of reproduction. God's designed us to be Christians who actually reproduce and pass on the faith and have an impact in, in the world that we live in for Christ. So it's, it's kind of cool that the fruit takes different forms, but it's based on Jesus in us, it's seen as it's displayed on us, and then as Christ works through us, he actually begins to change the world around us. All of that is fruit, and all of that is to say that as you read this passage, there's only one conclusion. God's dream, say it with me, is abundant fruit on abiding branches. Abundant fruit on abiding branches. So, how does that look in real life? Because this sounds pretty mystical, to be honest. And as I thought about teaching this this morning, I thought, how do we explain what does it mean? What, in my life, and Ryan actually came up with this idea, he says, Dale, share a little bit about from the passage, but connect it to, so where does this actually get played out in your life? Uh, so let me, let me kind of walk you through it. In other words, the question really is, so what is the key to abiding? And especially, how does it connect to this idea of me, on a daily level, uh, surrendering myself to Christ? The reason I use that phrase is if you think of Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it talks about that we live the Christian life as we become living, do you know the word? Sacrifices. He says, be a, present your body a living sacrifice. God doesn't want you as a dead sacrifice. You're no good to him then. But he wants you as a living sacrifice where I'm offering myself, my life, all that I am, I'm offering it to God and saying, Lord, I surrender to you. Let's go do life together. But you be God. I'll be your follower. I'll be your child. You be my heavenly father. I'll be the kid. I'm okay with you being in control. And I surrender to him. So what's that look like in daily life? Let me break it down with six real short phrases. Number one, the first thing I did in my life was I had to learn to give it up. And that means surrendering self-reliance. You know, I've always been a fairly confident kid. Growing up, I grew up in a family. I had two older brothers. Uh, both of them uh, were kind of at the top of their class or very close to it. They both were good athletes. They both, they both got married. They both married their they're high school sweethearts, blah, 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 you know, and, and I was boy number three, and I'll never remember. When I was in the seventh grade, one of my coaches before football practice said to me, he says, so he looked at his 
chart of names. He'd never met me before. And he said, oh, Dale Burke. Oh, he says, you're Mike and Marshall's little brother. And I'm thinking, don't call me that. They're my fortunate big brothers. <laughs> but anyway, that was my arrogance, you know. But he said, oh, you, so you're, you're the little brother. You're the third. You're, oh, he says, you know something? If you're half as good as your older brothers would, you'll do just fine. And I'm thinking, crap. That's, that's what I mean, half as good. You know, I could take my older. No, I, I won't. Okay. So, you know, nobody wants to be called half as good as your older brother. Yeah, but to me, it was a challenge. I got an amen from a third born out there somewhere, right? Yeah, or a second born. See, you know, but, but I grew up in a competitive family. And by God's grace, to tell you the truth, I didn't know it was God's grace back then. I thought it was just Dale. I was pretty successful at what I did. And I made good grades and finished near the top of my class. And I married my high school sweetheart, who was better looking than either of the ones my older brothers married. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, still is. And, uh, you know, and, and I did well in athletics, and I was the captain of the football team, and blah, 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 blah. Okay, so I did this stuff, and, and I really thought it was me. And, and I got pretty arrogant about hanging on and saying, you know something? I can fix my own problems. I can do it. Whatever I set my mind to, I can accomplish it. And I began to realize, you know, that's not true. And that ties to the second thing. Don't just give up self-reliance. Get humble or stay humble. Surrender self-pride. You know, pride in Scripture is consistently linked to bad news. It says God is opposed to the proud, but he lifts up the humble. Jesus said, if you want to be great, be a servant. Jesus said, if you want to be lowly, be a servant. He said, if you want to be really great at whatever you do, then go into it with a servant mindset, like I'm a servant. And, and so having a servant mindset is, is not natural. So you've got to surrender self, self-pride. Again, I grew up in a kind of a high-achievement family, and I kind of felt like, you know, you know God's kind of lucky to have me. But it was not that. That's not true at all. Fact matter is, I'm just a branch. Whatever good fruit was hanging on my branch was because of gifts, abilities, opportunities, the way God had crafted me and my life. And if it was not for the grace of God and His goodness in my life, uh, I don't know where I would have ended up. I know one thing, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't be looking at a wife who still, on most days, wants to be married to me after 44 years. 44 years of this? Man, that, that's perseverance. That's perseverance. But that's a quality of love that you don't get from the world. You get that from Jesus Christ. And it's Christ who has help Becky and I be whoever we are, both individually and in our marriage and as a pastor. And it's, it's his gifts and his ability. And when I remember that, it keeps me humble instead of prideful. The other thing to remember about pride is this. Pride grows best on fruit. See, if I'm not fruitful, I don't become prideful. But it's when I start bearing fruit. Wow, look at what I'm doing for God. Look at the changes I'm making, this and that. I become proud of my accomplishments 
and 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 pride is like it's like it it's like a mildew or a mold on the grapes. It will rot good fruit. Pride rots your best fruit. So when you begin to be fruitful and you begin to get more fruitful and God begins to use you or change you or whatever, beware the enemy's number one way to rot your fruit is to get you prideful, okay? So when, when you're, when, you know, pride it happens best when you're succeeding. So next time you're succeeding at anything, at work, at school, academics, athletics, in, in your life, uh, anytime you're succeeding, beware because you always face a fork when you think about, wow, I really feel pretty good about how things are going. And you should. Nothing wrong with that. But how do you react to that good feeling? It's one of two paths. It's either, wow, look what I've done and I get prideful. Or, wow, look what God is doing. And you get thankful. You get full of praise instead of pride. So there's always a fork at every success in life. It either leads to pride or praise, depending on who you think deserves the credit. And in my life, at least, it's been a tough lesson to learn, but I've learned that God indeed deserves the credit. Number three. Number three, give it up. Stay humble. Number three is shift your trust. I think at the heart of abiding is I have to consciously shift my trust so that I surrender my strength, my ideas, my power to the presence of Christ in my life, the promises of Christ for my life, and the power of His Spirit. And when I begin to trust in those three things, when I begin to trust the fact that, you know, God is with me, on my good day or my bad day, he's always with me. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you, Dale. Even when you're a rascal, is that a California word? I grew up with that word. You ever met one of those? Okay, if, if, you're, if, you're, a, if you're a rascal, spiritually, if you are rebellious and God still loves you, even if he has to discipline you, he still loves you. Because that's what a loving, perfect Heavenly Father does. You're never outside of his love, even when he's ready to give you a spiritual spanking. And sometimes you need one. But, because I need to shift my trust. Where's my confidence? Where, what's my confidence based in? That's, that's what I'm saying. It needs to be based in Him. Now as a result of that, by the way, He says in verse 8, Therefore, look at verse 8, Abide in me as my words abide in you. Abide in the word. It's interesting, Jesus has a few nicknames in the Bible. In John chapter 1, his very first nickname is the Word. It says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, so Jesus is the living Word of God. He's given us the written Word of God. And he says, you need to abide in my Word and let my words abide in you. We need to be ingesting the Word of God in order to be uh, healthy branches. And it's the Word of God that helps us connect back and stay connected and bonded to the vine now we're going to have a whole sermon on this next week so i'm not going to go deeper on that right now but i will say that in my life that's taken different forms in different ways and all of you are different also for example when i was really young i decided you know something i want to memorize key verses of scripture that i want to never forget i don't want to have to have this book with me i want them to change the way i think 
and I went through a thing called the Topical Memory System, published by the Navigators. Uh, it's still available to this day. But it's as simple as putting these key verses on little note cards. You carry them around with you everywhere. And whenever you get a chance, you just pull them out and review them and keep doing that until you memorize them, and they begin to change your thoughts. And you can think according to Scripture. That's, a great, that's been transformational in my life. I also love to study deep. I love to take a passage and, and study it with depth. And that's probably why God gave me that love, because once a week, for most of the last 40 years, by the way, this is my beginning this week is the 40th year of my, uh, or my finishing the 40th year. What is it, Beck? You've been around the whole time. Okay. Anyway. 40th, okay, yeah. It's the 40th birthday, you might say, of me in full-time ministry. Wow, how can I look so young? <laughs> Just kidding. There's the pride thing. See how easy it comes up? Uh, but for 40 years, I'm, I'm just doing what God has wired me to do. So I shouldn't be proud of it. I can be proud of the fact that God is gracious enough to use a guy like me and give me some gifts and let me have the honor of studying his word deep and then trying to teach it and explain it to others because what I'm really doing is explaining it to myself and by the end of the morning, I get it. And I hope you do too. Other people love to read scripture. My wife is a reader, bigger, much bigger reader than me. Becky loves to read through the word. This week, she started third year in a row to read through the entire Bible in a year. And she buys these big, fat, paperback Bibles so she can write in the margin what God is showing her, teaching her as she reads the, the Bible through in a year. It's not easy to do. It's, it's really quite difficult. I'm not good at that at all. She loves doing that. And then she shares what she's learning with me, and it's great. And that's why I can usually give better sermons is I get all my best stuff from Becky. Yeah. But see, whatever, whether you're reading through the Bible in a year or whether you're like Seacoast, and on the back of your outline, by the way, every week now, we're going to be reading through the New Testament in a year. It's about a chapter a week to do that. But it's a great discipline. You've got to be feeding on the nutrition of God's Word to be a healthy branch connected to the vine. That's the key. Number four, fourth key phrase, verse 9. He says, And don't just abide in me, and my words abide in you, but he says, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you, so abide in my love. Abide in my love. What's that talking about? It means every day, all day long, as a regular rhythm, I need to, I need to be living, and here's the phrase I use, covered by grace and compelled by love. Covered by his unconditional love, knowing that I'm never out from under that. I walk in grace. Now, I sin like anyone else. And when I sin, guess what? I can stop and say, oh, God, I confess my sin to you. And, and you practice what we call spiritual breathing. You can confess your sin, but it's also a chance to remember the grace of God. So even, even when I sin, it's actually an opportunity to stop and say, God, how is it that you love a guy like me? Because I promised you several times I'd never do that again. You ever made one of those promises? Man, I have. You still do it. God knows the worst part about Dale, and he still loves me. And his grace has forgiven me. And it's free. It's not earned by anything I do. See, when, when, I, when I walk 
surrounded by grace, breathing grace, I get healthy. I get healthy. Even when I sin, I remember the grace of God. And it actually draws me to God, which is why I added the second phrase. I'm compelled by this kind of love. This love motivates me. It becomes the motivation for my life. You know, one of the things that Becky and I often talk about is the fact that you know, we're so thankful that in real Christianity, our obedience is not fear-driven, it's grace and love-driven. And that's a whole different life. You know, and, and because I want to please my Heavenly Father. I don't want Him to be disappointed with me. And at times I do disappoint Him. I've heard it said that uh, you can never do anything to disappoint God. I don't believe that. Sure, you can disappoint God. Just like my kids can disappoint me as their dad. When they are rebellious or disobedient or have a bad attitude or, or don't want to listen to me or, you know, it, it, you know I, I'm, I'm disappointed, but I don't stop loving them. God's love is unconditional, never stops. Whether he's thrilled with me or disappointed in the fact that, you know, Dale, will you ever learn? Which, by the way, connects to the next one. He says, and therefore, if you're going to walk in my love, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, verse 10, you abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. In other words, the key principle there is walk in obedience. Surrender and follow Him wherever He leads. You know, there's an old hymn in Scripture that uh, I grew up singing in the churches I grew up in. Uh, maybe someday we'll get Toby and the band to resurrect this one uh, some of you may know the words it says trust and obey two words trust that's what ryan talked about last week put your trust in christ and obey if you really trust him why not obey him if you understand his love why not obey him why not obey a god that loves you so much to, that he would send his son to die for you that, that's the kind of God you want to follow. So not fear-motivated, but compelled by love, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but trust and obey. And by the way, the very next point is, in the very next verse, he says, and if you do this, he says, my joy will be in you and your joy will be made full. So the idea of not necessarily being happy, but being joyful in Christ is linked to this idea of trusting and obeying. As I trust Christ, I'm connecting to the vine. I'm giving up saying, I can do it without you. I can do it my way. My way is the right way. No, no, no. God's way is the right way. Don't ever tell your kids to grow up and just follow their heart. Uh, the times I follow my heart uh, when I was younger... I got in trouble because my heart is sinful. My heart loves to find fulfillment in ways that God doesn't want it to be fulfilled. Um, much better to say, you know something? Just love God with all your heart and do what comes natural. Love God with all your heart and trust Him. Abide in Him. Draw your life from Him every day all day and never stop but there was one more that we jumped over in verse 2 so i want to end with this one and that is submit to his pruning remember i talked about how the father is the one 
working his way through the Seco's Vineyard all the time, and he's, he's plopping off some branches here and there. He's going to come to your branch, and he's going to take the scissors or the clippers, and he's going to, he's going to, he's going to clip off something that you go, oh, that hurt. But it's for your good. And when I think about how that relates, I'm surrendering the lesser loves of my life. There are all kinds of things that the world will tell me. Dale, you should love this. You should love that. You'll really find joy in this. And they're lesser loves. They're, they're often not evil, but they're just things that are of lower priority than Jesus Christ. And we begin to substitute them for Jesus. And as a result, we begin to, to give too much time and attention and energy to things that don't really matter. So go into 2019 saying, Father, uh, help me look at my life and show me what we need to prune. And, and trust the Father. Sometimes these things are painful. An example in Becky and I's life, we've had several of these. At age 38, I was diagnosed with either an inoperable brain tumor or a stroke at age 38 in the speech center of my brain. Now, you know, there are a lot of other parts of my brain you could mess with and it'd be no problem at all. But I kind of made my living with my mouth. And uh, it was scary. And the short version, because I've shared some, some of this, but some of you are new enough that you may have, it, it took about a month for them to do a follow-up MRI to conclude whether this was a stroke or a brain tumor. Now, most people, those are not two really good choices. You know, we were praying that it was the stroke because they said if that's the case it will probably heal up and if it's the brain tumor it's probably inoperable and we would give you five years that's what my neurologist told me so for a month we had to wait and during that month we had to be humbled we had to draw close to the vine we had to abide in Christ we had to say all right God do we trust you can we trust you with this can I trust you to take care of my wife and three little kids, if you're going to take me out in the next five years? Can I trust you to use me if you take away my ability to speak? And through a lot of tears and heartache, we processed that. And God used it. He used it to grow good fruit in our life. And by God's grace, you know, my ability to, to, speak, to, speak, to, speak, to speak has not been affected. That's a bad joke. My wife always tells me not to do that. But yeah, by God's grace, he gave me my speech. He gave me my gifts. He allowed me to continue to serve him in this way. And I'm here with you today. By God's grace, we used to be in a large church that we loved. We were in a Fullerton, a full, church in Fullerton of five, five, six thousand, at one point about 6,000 members. And um, there were a lot of advantages to that for our life. And we loved it, but yet uh, after 15 years, God brought that to a close and said, Dale, it's time for you to leave that and move on. And God wanted to use us uh, at Seacoast. He wanted to use us, especially training pastors in Africa and other places in the world. And, and tell you the truth, I didn't want to leave, but yet God pruned that. then God gave me even a more fruitful ministry here with you. And this week, tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., I fly out of San Diego 
through Atlanta and end up in Brazil, and I'll have the honor of teaching a group of pastors in Brazil and training them, and, and then in February we'll be going to Kenya to train pastors in Kenya, and then in, in uh, April and May we'll be going to Rwanda to train pastors in Rwanda, and probably back to South Africa in August, and in between we're in Australia and Pittsburgh. Well, how did Pittsburgh work in that? I don't know. But the, the, the fact is, yeah, God has an awesome, he's the father. Trust him to prune in your life. Trust him to use you in your life. And he will. How do you do it? There's the short list. But at the end of the year, my prayer is this. You meet with your heavenly father on the patio. He says, how was 19? It'll never be perfect. He understands that. My prayer is that you can give one response. Fruitful. A lot of fruit on an abiding branch. Father God, thank you so much for your word and for the wisdom in it. It's deep. It's much more than I can understand. But I pray, Father, that as we go into the year now, that one of our rhythms would be surrendering to you and abiding and trusting in you. Thank you, Father, that you are the source of life. You are the source of the fruit. and We are honored to bear your fruit by your spirit for your glory. May it be true of all of us in Christ's name. Amen.